Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and the main thing we drink is beer. (laughs) I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are rounding up the, uh, getting to the end of the book or shortlist with This Other Eden by Paul Harding. And I'm starting with a beer. Ha ha. Ah, damn it. I was going to. So. Sneaky, sneaky. I I may fall asleep before the end of this, so I (laughs) I need to start now. This will mix well with the NyQuil. So the characters live in uh, Apple Island, which is based on a real place I will end up talking about, in Maine. But there's a preacher who comes to visit them. Do you remember where the preacher was from? Jimmy probably would. Nate? No? He's from, he's from like Massachusetts, or he's from outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he comes there, and he kind of ends up fucking up a lot of shit for them. You'd think they'd probably be like, thank you, Cape Cod. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this is a double IPA from Treehouse. Mm. And it's an IPA. It's really good. It is, it is delicious. I'm going to drink all of it. And I'm going to turn to pee. This other pee-in will be happening later. So uh, this book came out in 2023 this year, I think. And, it doesn't have uh, to. I think it's, I think it's like a... It's like a <laughs> the publication date is 22 inside the book. But maybe it was... I don't, I don't fucking... I don't really care. It's published only in <laughs> Maine in 2022. Yeah. Some things come out in uh, England before they come out in America. Like Harry Potter. <laughs> so um, I think Elton John came out in England before he came out in America. No? So Paul Harding, I I had heard the name and I saw the title, of the, uh, the cover book of the book, which I actually read a physical copy of this book. I went to the library and took it out like an old person. Wow. Yeah. And um, I was reminded of how less convenient physical books are versus like an e-reader. Oh, yeah. When I'd be on the train and the train lights would turn off, I'm like, well, I'm done now. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here and wait for death. I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it won't take long. As <laughs> we sit in the dark in this bum piss filled you know, can <laughs> with no light. Uh, I can't even light up my face like in a, in a Blair Witch Project or something. And uh, Paul Harding wrote a, this is only his third book, I believe, but his first book won the Pulitzer about. Uh, 12 or 13 years ago So he's a He's a book nerds writer um, The book he went for Was called Tinkers Which I've never read And uh, we Probably never will But uh, it, it takes place In fictional Apple Island Where hill people live Around the turn Of the 20th century Except it doesn't feel like The 20th century Feels like the mid 19th century Because they, they They've like Okay so let's go back the very first chapter is how the first the first two people to settle on Apple Island, which is Benjamin Honey and his wife. Uh, so Benjamin Honey is a runaway slave, and he settles there in 1793 with his wife. And on this tiny little island, which is about 100 feet off the coast of Maine, so, you know, still Maine, and it's probably a lot closer at low tide, but they, uh, and it's just an island, which is not very big, but probably just a few acres. And they decide to just start living there in 1793. They said it was like 40 acres or something? No mule, though. No. Uh, but yes, it, apparently the real island is 41 square acres. So, yeah, uh, pretty tiny. And so they stay there. Uh, and so they live there. And, and uh, Benjamin Honey, he has collected apple seeds, like from like all different kinds of apple seeds. I didn't recognize any of the varieties because like, they might be extinct by now. But um, but it's so this is so long ago. She was still just Mommy Smith. Like they didn't have like <laughs> grandchildren yet. To... <laughs> and so they go. Uh, they go. So and he like 
you know, he's always wanted to like actually have this orchard, have this farm. So he starts planting his seeds and none of them grow and he's pissed. And then he decides, and then he goes and like finds other farmers in Maine and asks them like, Hey, you've got some apple trees. How do you do this planting thing I hear of? And then he (laughs) learns how to plant them and then he gets some apple trees. And that's kind of like the very first part, but I'm just going to open my beer now because, you know, they go, he goes and settles. He goes all the way up to Maine to settle. It's almost like he went up to camp. (laughs) (laughs) This is up to camp by, uh, by artifact cider. And this is a, uh, apple cider co-fermented with blueberries. Those grow up there. Also, it's about apples. So, you know, they do mention artifacts in the book. Actually, they do. Mm, And it's very good. I mean, it's juice. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, it's delicious. Very nice. Damn you, Prohibition. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, just so mad. All the apples, all the apples. He's still mad about that and that they let women vote. (laughs) (laughs) He was there. So all of New England has all these apple orchards, which were grown specifically to make hard cider. There's a huge hard cider industry all through New England. And then Prohibition came in. They started just, uh, and then like everybody went out of business and still they started just producing apple juice and apple cider for the store. And so there used to be like, but hard cider used to be very popular, very common drink. Mm. But then Prohibition put them all out of business. Then you just feral apple farms everywhere, just overrun with (laughs) the the best word in the English language, griggles. You know what a griggle is? Apple expert, Nate? A griggle. I don't. A griggle is a little apple that's too shitty to pick. It's not worth picking. <laughs> griggle. That's a weird word. Okay. It's a fantastic word. Educational podcast. So uh, this guy grows some apples, but then those apples like never come back in the story, I don't think. Because there's a hurricane. So, and yeah, they just ripped them the fuck out. It's like the first hurricane. Hurricane Abe. Uh, <laughs> because whatever <laughs> came alphabetically. And... Uh, and then you get this part where it's like an old lady telling her grandchildren nephews about the flood. And she's saying, oh, my God, we it came and it rained and it was the swell and we all had to climb up a tree. And we formed like a human totem pole. And at a certain point, people just held their breath because the water got over their face. And they're like, well, I just died now. And But we held onto the tree and then someone was holding their American flag, which was made out of like... Every other flag and like a pair of bloomers and it's like this weird Frankenstein flag they had, which will come back in the very last sentence of the book, basically. And then the water went away, like right when it was about to kill them, and then they stayed. So it's kind of like this biblical flood story. Notice the book is called This Other Eden. It's like there are connections there. Oh. And they're like, where'd that rain come from? They're like, Noah idea. <laughs> like, that's not why that works. And then the kids are like, great story, Grandma. Let's go back to being incredibly poor and <laughs> unentertained in our shack held together by spit and, uh, and just hope. Yeah. And then you introdu- are introduced to 400 characters that I couldn't remember throughout the rest of the book. By the, and so the, the rest of the book kind of takes place in the early 1900s. I, uh, early, like 1912? It's like 1912, something like yeah. that. 
Uh, so uh, the very early 1900s, and though it feels much earlier because they live out in this like you know isolated little island with absolutely no modern technology at all. I mean, modern by even 1912 by, standards. By feudal standards, they have nothing <laughs> Yeah, modern. so there are now like three or four families living there because clearly more people have joined them on there. More people have joined them on there on Apple Island. And so there are a couple of different families and there are a lot of characters, but the main characters you meet are Ethan, who is a 14-year-old boy, and you meet his mother whose name was Esther. Esther, yes. And her actually no that's her grandma. That's his oh, grandmother. His grandmother, yeah. That's his grandmother. And Ethan's father, Ia? Aya? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not e- sure how it's supposed to E H A. Aya. That's probably it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aya. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you meet them and so you go back and forth between sort of like getting some of their like individuals like backstories and what it's like and then also uh, Father Diamond. Well, Mr. We, we, before Diamond. we get to Father Diamond, there is the the main interesting thing about this island, especially for its time, is that it is wildly unsegregated. In that, the everyone on the island, more or less, is of mixed race descent or in interracial relationships. They're like the, what the hell are they called in um, Demon Copperhead? Those people that we learned oh, about. Oh, God, the, yeah. The, the Melungeons or something? Melungeon. But they're not, yeah, they're not, I guess, I don't know if they're specifically Melungeon, because I don't remember what the fuck that is. No, they're is. not, but they're, they just happen to be similarly, like, a mongrel group of people by 1911 standards. Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, some are very dark-skinned, and some are white-passing. And there's even, like a, like, a Swedish incest sibling couple that is very strange that they mention. And also, I want to drink this. Uh, the, 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 there's the two sisters, and they uh, do everyone's laundry, and also they give everybody tea. So this is called Mom's Tea. And it is a uh, sour ale brewed with black tea and yuzu. And I just looked it up on the internet, and it said, this tastes like olive oil and sty- olive, olives and styrofoam. So I'm Ooh. kind of... I'm kind of worried. That sounds delightful. Just like the it's, tea mom used to make growing up. It's got a lot of flavor. I'm not sure that it's a flavor I, I like. It's interesting. It does kind of taste like tea. It's interesting. <laughs> but like life on this island, it is quite uh, terrible. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like fucking your sister. I don't, I don't um, hate it, but it's... Not something that I want to have again. It's outside my comfort zone, which is fairly large in terms of drinking. We're all just looking for the boundaries in life, you know. Yeah, I found <laughs> <Like> it. children. <laughs> I found I found the boundary. Yes, yeah, so they're all on this shit island, and life is very hard there. So it's it's both very hard, but also people are generally pretty happy. I mean, not entirely. Not when there's incest going on, but, but they are, but they're not, they're not doing badly either. They're not doing exponentially worse than a lot of poor people back then. They are, hold on though, they're constantly, like they're just drinking mugwort tea all the time because they have no food. 
These are incredibly poor, malnourished, underfed children and people. They have they get a lot of um it's not romanticized. oysters and stuff like that. So Lobsters. they don't have they're they not have living no large Tabasco sauce to put yeah, on them. They're, they're not living large, but it's they they don't mention people like dying ever. They're feral people. They are they are pretty well. That's what the state thought. That's for sure. Yeah. The state takes it to another level because they mix in the pleasant science of eugenics. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back and forth between chapters about the people on the island, you get these little snippets of newspaper articles, and one is from. Captain Darwin, the son of Charles Darwin, who says, like, the... He named his son Captain? No, no, he was a captain. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I, I don't know. <laughs> they called him Captain in the book. That I make, forget. Okay, that but makes he more says, sense. He talks about eugenics. He commanded the, the Beagle. It was very, it's a t- time paradox. <laughs> it was his ship. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where he's talking about eugenics and about, you know, we can't let the lesser races mix and things like that. And that's just a little thing. And then also, the, like, fast forward a little bit in the book, a um, basically a delegation or councilman from the state of Maine, like the state government of Maine, go and visit them. And they bring, like, doctors. And a bunch of calipers. Quote, yeah, quote, and measure that man's they head. Do, yet they are immediately, like, they see a child and they just grab it and starts measuring the child's head. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the dimensions this, of the kid's this head. This lump for wantonness. <laughs> just the bullshit science of 1911. This child is an imbecile. Like, how would you know? Because that was a technical term. <laughs> Tendency to moron and, th- and things like that. Although th- it sounded it like, like, I couldn't tell quite at the beginning, but at the end it sounded like a few of them were. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Definitely. But well, there was definitely the it, one girl who was like eating bugs and not verbal and, you know, crawled around on her stomach all the time. But uh, and so, but as but the the <laughs> right that one might have been fucked up. But you know, but Father Diamond knows immediately. Like, oh, they're just going to evict everyone, even though he's repulsed by the people. He he yeah. finds them to be disgusting. He comes there. He comes there in the summers when school is on a session on in Massachusetts. And he comes up there and teaches the kids in their you know shanty shack, um, and he is uh, he hates them. He's disgusted. But he's so religious, he's like, I've got to do this, and I wish I wasn't so disgusted by them, but these people need help. So, you know, pros and cons. In the beginning, he writes a letter to his first letter to his friend in Massachusetts, says that he's, like, disgusted by them. But then immediately after he realizes that they're all going to get evicted, they're all going to have to leave, and they have nowhere to go, and all this stuff, uh, he immediately feels really bad for them and tries to help them and kind of changes his mind and one of the ways he tries to help them is he writes a letter he knows because he teaches the, the kids and he knows all he knows all the kids and he knows that a couple of them are very smart one is very good at math another one is a very good artist and so but in and luckily for the boy ethan who's a really good artist he's also very light-skinned and he says in his letter that he could pass for white if he's if he's away from here and people don't know where he comes from, that he can absolutely just pass for white. And so he writes a letter to his friend in Massachusetts, like, "Hey, 
could you just take him in and hopefully maybe help him get into like the art school? I forget what the art school is called, but uh, help him get into art school because he can pass his white and then no one needs to know. And then he'll, this talented young, young teenager, at least he will have a place to go. So he writes his letter. And so Ethan goes. And it's a big deal because people rarely leave the island. And if they do, they leave forever. Because I think yeah. it was Esther, the, his grandmother... Her son, Eha or Eha, I don't know, Yeha, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, was the product of her own father raping her after her mother died, and at that point, her sister leaves the island, so she gives birth to her own father's son, and then she murders her dad by pushing him off a cliff, and no one really checks. Well, there she for anything, so. tries to kill herself and her son. She does. She does. Or just the kid first. She kind of gets kill the kid. She's like, just kid. let him float away and turn your back and it'll be fine and no one will ask what happened to the baby. Yeah. Probably including her dad, who was. She says specifically, he won't do a word. He won't ask. No. So it's but a big she, deal when she's like, hey, you know, I can save this one kid and send him elsewhere and he can go and do stuff. And she's like, you know, that's fucked up and talks to her son about it and they agree like hey he he can go we'll probably never see him again but give him a give him a shot in the world and then he gonna i mean there's this is that's like halfway through the book already when he leaves to go to the live in the f- barn of whatever the fuck mr hale mm-hmm. the, the friend of the priest they have a big feast for him where they have lobster and a bunch of other things and and chowder they get then they get beer from the Local town, but then they have to de louse him by pouring kerosene over him and then like picking out all the lice. It's pretty gross, and they were delicious. So, uh, my wife's parents, who grew up in the Caribbean, say that when they were kids, because we, we had bed bugs years ago, and we we're like, This is the fucking worst. They're like, what do you talk? We had that all the time, you babies. <laughs> and we're like, Yeah, but we don't live in your shithole country. <laughs> I'm not used to that. They said as like a, a just regular thing they would do in this in the you know early sixties was you'd have a little tin of kerosene and you'd strip the bed and pick off the bed bite bed bugs and just drop them into the kerosene and you'd do that every day and eventually you get rid of the bed bugs for a while. So it is a tried and true method of killing uh, parasites that uh, like to crawl on our skin. Apparently, well Matthew Diamond, the preacher teacher guy, preacher teacher lives in a room in the back of the schoolhouse where he does not let any of the kids inside ever. And he does also doesn't touch them because he doesn't want to get lice and bed bugs. Well, they all know because once they de louse Ethan, he has to sleep in the grass because yeah. that's, he's because less likely to get, get bug, bugs there. Get right, you'll get them right back. <laughs> the bugs just like, Oh, it's an all you could eat buffet on this shaved boy here. What did bed bugs do before us? They must've just been aimless. <laughs> they were just bugs Just wandering bugs There's No man, I just hope some. I hope somebody sleeps in this thing soon This is <laughs> Mattresses existed But there was no one to sleep in them So without the context they weren't beds I told you Zorflax This was a terrible idea to set up camp here <laughs> Just give it time They'll discover shelter They'll need us <laughs> So there's that going on, but it's all kind of dreamy and out of order and weird. Well, it's not out of order, but it's just like 
took it's, a while for me to figure to out what the follow. fuck was happening in this book. There's no real like sequence of events. It's more like, here's everyone that lives here and a few things that happened. But one of the things when that delegation and the governor of Maine show up, and it's him and a bunch of uh, like council members. And initially, he's being persuaded, I think, by the reverend to just spend to just spend like three dollars of tax money to help this impoverished island they're like you know you think a bridge and a well would help them they're like that would absolutely help them that would not nothing could make it worse for them basically except for one thing (laughs) and then the other guy's like no no kick them the fuck out of here that's the one and like that was the one thing that was the one thing that's gonna make it worse and, and so the, for a minute, the governor's like, yeah, we'll make it, we'll spend some money and we'll put some shit and modernize. And so I was like, how about instead we just like kick him out of here and put like a hotel on this island and just like the ruthless capitalist mm. guys. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's also a possibility because, uh, you know, my re-election campaign or whatever it is. And then the, their fate is sealed. I have a big election against the Bull Moose Party later. And you know, the Bull Moose Party was, it was around that time. It was it 1912. Was, 19, yeah. was it 12 Ooh, or damn. 16? Damn, I'm good. It was 1912 because that's how the, Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, was able to win. Right, right, right. He split the vote. That was 19... No, wait. I'm no, 19, 1912. Let's go, let's because go with Wilson was 12 to 20. 20. Yep. Yeah. Because I, it was I, the... I, because I was after, yeah, Taft's first term. Taft is 1908. Taft only does one term, 1908 to 1912. Everyone knows this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's common knowledge. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to kick the people off the island. And then all of a sudden, the priest is like, no, that's not nice. There's like some, there's like weird genius hidden in these hill people. There's a girl that could speak in Latin. And there's like, you know, who knows Shakespeare. And there's the guy who could become the next Rembrandt or whatever the fuck. And they're like, yeah, no, that's going, they're going to go now. And he's like, all right. And then you know this. And now I did not know shit about this place, but from talking with you guys while I was reading it, I was like, ah, oh, I see what's about to happen to them. <laughs> and, uh, all right, now we just play the waiting game in the book. <laughs> At this point, the story switches dramatically to Massachusetts, where we find uh, a fancy guy in his big house and a little Irish girl who is his slave. Uh, which, which the founders of the island were black freed blacks and irish runaway slave girls <laughs> like there is yes, a lot of uh, irish descent from the island so they're there and it's like hey this this kid's coming and he's going to do art just put him out in the barn and let him art and she's like okay i to chai um <laughs> and then he arrives and he and she's you know 15 or 16, and he's like 15 or 16. No, she's 14, and he's 14. 15. Ooh. Ooh, there you go. But he arrives, and she is like, lordy, lordy, look at that. I got my... Look at the shillelagh on that guy. My, <laughs> loin, my loins art aching. Um, and he does art real good, and he draws nice, and he's learning how to paint, and he sleeps in the barn, probably in a full suit all at all times, because it's 1912. <laughs> And it's the summer, so he's definitely sweaty. <laughs> oh. Even on, on like, Swamp. literally, like, the very first night he's there. So, you know, like, hi, nice to meet you. And, like, let me bring you lemonade with ice in it. And he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. What, what is ice? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then immediately she's like, oh, he's good looking. And then 
that night, she's like, everybody's asleep. Come with me. And she like brings him into the house. And he has like no idea because he's never seen a house bigger than one room before. And she shows him some painting and then she takes him back out to the barn and then she fucks him <laughs> like right there. Like first night. She's Does like, it happen wow. that quickly? That's what I thought. Or very quickly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's pretty fast. So she, she bangs him but somewhere around here. But somewhere around here also has my favorite sentence in the book. And I bet, I bet Nate didn't remember it because he's a grown up. Jimmy may have. But there's a part where they talk about the Dutch guys who oh, come. Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. What sentence the, it is, I did notice it. <laughs> the Dutch guys come to cut all the hay or some shit. Yeah. Because that's a thing that the Dutch are They're known like for. Dutch migrant farmers. Yeah, they, they come up. Yeah, they're like, oh, as long as the Mexicans don't get into hay, we'll be okay. This is our thing. And then they they start cutting down the hay, and it's all all Dutch guys. Uh, they're very good at it. You could call them Dutch masters if you were so inclined. <laughs> and there's a kid with them who's 12 that kind of befriends Ethan, even though he doesn't speak Dutch. Uh, Ethan doesn't speak Dutch, and the Dutch kid doesn't speak hill person. And he's so, deaf. Oh, that's right. He's deaf. He's so they deaf just kid. like they just smoke cigarettes in the morning yeah. <laughs> together. <laughs> you know, like kids did before work back in the day, before those goddamn pesky laws about fucking child labor. <laughs> And child smoking. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was a freer time. There's actually a very strong libertarian message in this book that I'll get to later. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, honestly, there is. <laughs> so, um, but there's a part where they talk about the boy. They kind of give him like the apprentice work. And do you remember what his main <laughs> his job was, Nate? His job was peening. <laughs> oh, right. Peening. <laughs> <laughs> the sentence is, peening is a skill of which the boy is proud. <laughs> I'm sure he is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're all, I mean, some of us are proud of our peening. Some people, you know, we can't always work on it. But and uh, Mike's and put in his ten thousand hours. Oh, I'm up to like what's thirty thousand hours worth? You know, he's beyond master, he's a guru. I, I do the equivalent of just like floating, <laughs> like a Dragon Ball character, <laughs> Master Strokesy. Um, so I'm trying to think of a pun combination of bodhisattva, anything involving dicks, but it's really hard. Strokey sattva. Boner sattva. Got it. Okay. Boner sattva, yeah. <laughs> it can be done. We could... <laughs> I'm going to enlighten these balls by draining them. Uh, so the boy is good at peening, which if you've ever heard our episode, only for patrons, on Roadhouse 2, the peener is a, <laughs> it's a dance. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> they all did the peener. <laughs> and this kid is literally a peener. And it was, it was like depressing, pretentious book. And, and he's like a, the best peener. <laughs> he is he is the best peener. He's the that's why he's the Dutch master. <laughs> he's the Rembrandt of peening. Lord of peen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> that, that's the thing that just happens in the middle of the book. I was like, this has all been worth it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but then immediately the, you know, the night after banging the Irish peasant girl, she's sneaking back into the house and Mr. Hale wakes up cause he's been reading Ovid at night. And does that matter? Maybe. She also took one, his one picture cause he has one picture of his family. Oh, yeah. 
And she looks because there was a dude who came around and took pictures of the people and was selling them at as souvenirs, as souvenirs, and they were like super racist, like just kept calling everybody the the king of spades. See what it did there? Huh? Huh? You know, because they're black. And then the next picture was like a bunch of spades. It's like that's oh my god, dude! Like Jesus Christ! And then even other white people, like come on, man, that's not. They're they're really really downtrodden people. You don't need to go there, but he did. He did there. He did go there, and I think that's where one. Of the, I think that's where the picture came from, right? Like, how else would he yeah. have a photograph? Mm-hmm. Well, he he gave one or two copies to the family. He was like, "Oh, thank you for letting me take your picture," but then he just made a bunch of extra copies and sold them as postcards in the local town with his expert commentary. So she takes the picture. She finds it. And realize it's like, oh, this is interesting. There's all these other people that don't look like a white guy. Furious. Well, she so knows she that he has it. siblings, and he, she knows like their names, and she sees these people and their names are on. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why is this? Why are his siblings black? That's ridiculous. Surely something else is going on. But now that they've gone, gall the way, she runs away. Uh, yeah, it's Irish pun. And then the owner sees her, and he's like, oh. That dirty whore and that whoring boy. Then he calls the kid in the next day. He's like, come in here. You don't need to bring your art supplies. I have to talk to you. And clearly just kicks him out. He's like, get the fuck out of here. You had to, listen, the, only the Dutch boy gets to peen around here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how, how much you think you could do peening. It is not happening under my barn's roof. So beat it. Leave the paintbrushes and shit. And then he's gone from the story for the rest of the... He's gone. He's gone from history. Then it switches back to uh, the island where Matthew receives a letter. Is like, your kid fucked my maid. He's out. Peace. But he's like, well, that kid's probably never going to come. just come back here, so we'll see what happens. But he, they never see him again. No, but then um, you just get more... Again, it gets to the point where they, the eviction guys show up. And they're like, it's time to go. Beat it hill you know folk and uh i I was confused how it happened but they somehow get into a beach brawl like they're hulk hogan so okay so the so (laughs) the people from the state come back well first they deliver there's one guy comes to deliver all their eviction notices some like oh right yeah who just and he's like oh my he's absolutely just disgusted by everyone and everybody hates him too because they're like what's a doc they're like what document he's like i need to give you this document and they're like but what does it document? Because they like they don't know laws. They don't have that kind of thing. So they're very confused. But yet they do understand that. Oh, this means we all have to leave. But of course they hate the guy. And all the dogs are just kind of like barking at him all day long, chewing his pants. Like and off. the little the little terrier is like chewing his pants and like biting his ankles and stuff. And he he's so mad. And then uh, probably a, I don't know a month or two weeks months like this the state sends essentially a bunch of goons to just to go and make everybody leave is specifically to take all of the inbred people and send them to a, a sanitarium An Institute for the feeble minded. Yes. Where, yeah, a whole bunch like this, like, this whole family has got to go there. <laughs> They're, you know, the calipers never lie. <laughs> and so they, well, when they were kicking, when, when they were with the governor there, he's like, could we just fix this stuff up and like leave it? And everyone's like, no, there's way too much mixed race stuff going on here. These people are all just no good. Just throw them away. 
And he's like, well, yeah, you're right. Science says so. So It was the dumb science of the day. It was. Trust the science, they say. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. <laughs> they have, you know, whatever ridiculous negroid skulls <laughs> or some bullshit that they have. Mm. And so they all have to go. But then they send the goons, and the goons are like, the who is like the dumb cop from Dukes of Hazard? Like, Boss Hogg is the guy that dresses like Colonel Sanders. I don't know the cop's and there's like name. Dewey or whatever his shithead name was, who's an idiot. You know, just like guys who are like stupid and have too much power already, and they are going to be violent. And they start just grabbing these people who are confused and angry, and some of them definitely fucking, you know, not understanding like anything. And they get into this weird low tide brawl where they're fighting and, and, Collateral damaging people's craniums with a billy club is just a ridiculous scene. And then it ends after, is it two Two of the girls get killed? Well, the, like this, the uh, girl who uh, ate bugs and starfish gets hit in the head accidentally and she dies. And then everyone's like, hey, you guys are just, you got to chill out. Uh, sorry about that. But, you know, it's your own fault. And the rest of you just got to leave or, you know, bad stuff's going to happen. So she's dead, and then what the hell is his name? Zachary Hand of God or something like that. Zachary Hand of God, the man who lives in the, lives inside of a tree and carves Bible verses. He, 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 I got like Shel Silverstein vibes from that concept of a man who lives in a hollow <laughs> tree, and all you can see are his feet as he's in there. <laughs> it <laughs> seems of. like a drawing from a Shel Silverstein <laughs> book. He comes out, and then he gives this ridiculous speech. Partly because he's naked. <laughs> yes. He, takes he literally off. takes off his pants. He takes off all his clothes, takes off his shirt, takes off his pants. He's completely naked. He's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. But that somehow, that, that screaming naked tirade doesn't help. Doesn't, doesn't save anybody. But they own, that day, they only take away the one family, the Lark family. But then Aya... And he so okay. Zachary was his father. Was a his father's friend. They're friends from the Civil War because they were both they both fought in the Union Army in the Civil War, and they came back. And Zachary's has been living there since. But he's also like a crazy, crazy old man. And he had this whole speech about being queer. Well, he he kind of lost his. He had basically like PTSD. I yeah. think different. That was the old timey use of queer. Like, yeah, well, that's no, what I they, couldn't. It's, it's fucking stupid. This speech. It's <laughs> yes. up and, it's it's too much. I because, couldn't decide what it meant, as if because it's a book that came out in 2023, whether he meant gay or whether it was because this is from you know a hundred years ago. If it didn't mean that, well, there was that article I sent you guys. That article was called "The Queer Folk of the Maine Coast" about the guy who went to visit it and like wrote about them and. You know, in his own way, uh, it was definitely. I'd be surprised if it wasn't a reference to that because they were called that by people. Definitely, it definitely was. But then he took it and turned it up to eleven mm-hmm. of the guy going like, "I'm queer for queers," and like, "What are you?" Do-? It's like this isn't Cocoa Puffs. And he goes, <laughs> "I'm queer for the queers, and I'm the queer folk, and I'm queer for myself." And I'm curious about being queer. He just like says everything about being queer, and like, all right, I get it. It's it means something different. It just felt very heavy hand. I mean, a book that was kind of pretty heavy handed about certain things. It just like, where's this author I'm, from? I don't know actually. Is he American? 
He is American. Okay. I wasn't sure if he was American or some kind of Brit. He's, oh, he's from Massachusetts. Oh, of course. Um, Chow to head. So he's, he has this whole thing about, I'm queer for the little queer creatures in the pools, and I'm queer for the light when it breaks the horizon, and queer for when it sinks behind the trees. Like, what does that mean? I'm gay for the sunrise. I mean, sunrises are notoriously gay. Everyone True. Knows that. It's the gayest part of the day. It is. Yeah, the day starts gay. <laughs> Everyone knows that. He's getting up early. He's gay. Yeah. I learned that okay. in my phrenology Obvious. class. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Unless you have a mongoloid type skull, and then you might think <laughs> other things are gay. <laughs> but that speech was like, come on, dude. The whole rest of the book is pretty heavy hand roll, the biblical symbol- symbolism. And then you throw the big queer speech at the end. All right, we get it. You're mugging for a fucking award. <laughs> and then Aya takes apart the, his cabin plank by plank. And there's a whole scene there. He's remembering how when, when he was much younger, he and Zachary went and cut down this giant pine tree that's, you know, on somebody else's land way out, you know. In Absolutely. The, but Maine does have a lot of trees, I've noticed. So Isn't still it the does. pine tree state? Isn't that what it's called? It's vacation land. Yeah, vacation land. It doesn't have like the something state. They all have a dumb name like that, right? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't fucking care. It's the main state. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they. Uh, so anyway, talks. Remembers he like takes it apart, plank by plank, and puts it on a boat and just sails it somewhere up the coast. And they're like, we're just gonna re, we're just gonna find somewhere and land and put it back together. But at this point, um. The little Irish girl. Oh, yeah. She's wandered back to the town. Bridget? She, Bridget, she has shown up at Apple Island and said, <laughs> oh, hi, hello. Is Ethan there? And and the grandma is always like, holy shit, this kid is pregnant. Oh, my God. Even the <laughs> fucking people that eat like starfish are like, that's a pregnant girl. And then they go back to eating a mollusk. They, everyone seems to know that she's pregnant right away. Which maybe that's a thing people are more attuned to in like an agricultural society or something. But every single character. And then the, we're all standing there. And the pregnant Irish girl was there too. Like they all could tell. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> we can smell it on her. And yes, later uh, in the book you get these baby little pheromones. Like, and now this sort of in the last section of this book you get these little like snippets of what are probably like. Well, they're, it's as if they're like little descriptions from a museum. Because this is like a museum from 2023, and it's a museum of Ethan's Ethan Honey's work, his art, his art. But because he's this very mysterious character, because he completely disappears after this, and then he there's a somewhere of, in France around World War One. Well, there's a painting. In, <laughs> there's a painting of Bridget, and there's a yeah. little description, and then there's like you know, and you know, Bridget, where he paints her herpes. <laughs> that detail. <laughs> Well, you know, he he balanced out the romanticism of the light by showing, you know, her cold sore on her bottom lip. (laughs) Jesus. You know, maybe that was in vogue back then. The herpes chic is uh, really cool. One of the little, like, snippets you get is this letter was in the hands of the guy from Massachusetts. I forget his name, but Thomas Hale for years for, for of Thomas Hale for years. And then including after he died and then the family. And it was this one letter from Ethan, it was said, you know, 
to Thomas Hale, no, to Apple Island, care of Thomas Hale, but Thomas Hale was like, there's nobody there left to send it to, so he just kind of held on to it, but it was finally opened years and years later. And it just said, paintings of what appear to be the Arden Forest. So the idea, so the, the thought that he must have gone off to fight in France, but he's never heard from again. And the people they took to the uh, Society of the Feeble-Minded, whatever it was called, they all die within a few months, except for one who lives until, you know, very old age and denies ever having lived on the island. <laughs> so they all just, everyone forgets about it. No one wants anything to do with it. And um, the old, and they go and kind of cuts back as it's going back and forth to the Zachary the Naked queer man just takes the bundled up flag in the beginning, and he walks into the sea, presumably to die. After everybody's left, after everybody's gone, the government gets some work oh, yeah, to do. They burn down in, the house. To yeah. burn down the houses and dig up all the graves. Because all the graves of the people who had lived there are still there. So like, dig it up, and they put all these, put them in these pauper coffins, take them away. But Zachary they shows mix up. mix the bones together. They don't even bother... No. One, they just have bu- piles of bones. But Zachary shows up and he's like, fuck you guys. And, but he has a flag, probably the flag that Ethan Honey brought with him in 1793. Benjamin Honey. Be- Benjamin Honey brought with him in 1793, yeah. And then that's the end of the book. And so that's apparently largely based on real shit. Like there was a family that was sent... To a, I looked, I looked uh, up. I I'd actually, I'd actually heard of this whole story before we read this book, and like the real thing that happened. And so, like the island was real. Uh, the people he put in this are not real. The personalities are fake, of course. I mean, yeah, he just like he, I mean, he made up characters that live on this fictional island. In real life, it was called Malaga Island. Don't know why they don't. They don't know why it was called that. And the guy who started it was named Benjamin Darling, and the you know, story that most likely happened because no one's a hundred percent sure is that he was a slave. He was definitely a slave from like from Nigeria or he was, uh, I think from somewhere. Ebo. He was probably Ebo, and he was on a shipwreck and the guy who had bought him was drowning and he saved the dude. And so the guy freed him and said, yep, shit, man. Okay. You, you earned this, you go. And he, left and he did actually marry an Irish lady or, you know, get with one. I don't know if they were allowed to be married then. Um, And he got this island. He got a little island next to it and then they all moved to this big island. But it was called, um, they called it Apple Island and the other one, no, they they called it Apple Island this book. And it's Malaga Island for some reason. But over time, a bunch of people just started moving there. People that like, you know, for one reason or another didn't exactly fit in in the rest of society, often mixed race, some just like unsociable people or, you know, people just wanted to be alone, hermit type folks. And they lived out there for a long, long, long time. And then eventually the state was like, you know, that's actually some pretty good land. Uh, we could like do stuff with that. And so they, they found some old records that he, Benjamin or some family that whoever his descendants were had sold the smaller island next to it to a family on the mainland. And they said, well, he must have meant both. And so they evicted everybody 
And then the governor, and then the state sold the land to the governor's friend who developed it and made a lot of money off of it. And they did they actually pay, they, dig up all the old bodies and then inter them at the home for the feeble-minded in their graveyard. In a pile. <laughs> yeah. So it was like the broad strokes, the story is true, but the characters were all, you know, myth. So one thing that about the people, I mean, the people are, maybe there's like a, a Rorschach test kind of thing. Like when you look at this, these people, like what, what your reaction is, right? So I'm like, they're hill people as opposed to, Jimmy's saying they're people who are just happy to be left alone, right? Well, like, part of this book, about- the, one of the issues I had with this book is that he kind of, you know, it's impo- they were never living in glorious splendor, but he kind, he kind of made it seem worse than it probably really was. Like, there was a lot of people living on this island. There are about 45 people living on this yeah, island. Yeah, you know, living out there. Mostly independently, people weren't starving to death. They, you know, were poor, but not cra- not much poorer than other people. They, yeah, the, the had whole like, the race science stuff is all bullshit. But they were poor people who, as far as the state was concerned, and here's where the libertarian thing is: they never had paid taxes. Yes, mm, and they didn't have no. like birth certificates so and shit like fucking that. Fucking heroes. <laughs> <laughs> If they had made this island in New Hampshire, it would have been totally fine. And the tyrannical state came in and put them on our license plates. (laughs) (laughs) They lived freed and didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it definitely is a very, very clear example of just ridiculous, egregious government overreach. Yeah. To an old timey racism. And yeah, trumped up by old timey racism and bogus, you know, pseudoscience nonsense. And, you know, and now it's like this weird little footnote of history. It's a really odd thing to take as inspiration for a novel. To make who, who finds this and is like, oh, I have a book to make out of this. But apparently it was only about a decade ago that the state of Maine apologized. <laughs> they said, oh, we're, we're sorry that that happened. <laughs> that was bad. Honestly, I'm surprised it happened a decade ago. Because a decade ago, I think the governor of Maine was Paul LePage. And he was basically a Nazi. It wasn't that. It was the he, one, he was tr- Paula Bald, Page Bald, was Trump before Trump. It was not him. It was Baldacci or something. I read about it. Oh, okay. So it was the guy before Paula Page. Yeah. I was like, wow, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, that guy never would have apologized for something like this. <laughs> Should have just shot him. <laughs> <laughs> I did not follow. Um, I, I, I don't follow main politics. I have right? a, half of my family up there, so I, I know both things there are to know about Maine. <laughs> he was kind of, he was kind of Trump before Trump. Except he was not he was kind nationally of nationally known. known. Yeah. He was Maine's. I mean, he wasn't Maine's Donald Trump, as in he was a rich real estate developer. He was Maine's Trump in terms of like being just this crazy, unhinged, like overt, guy, but overt crazy shit, like super right wing. He was a guy who was saying, yeah, yeah, he was a fun dude. But yes, it did happen for real. It's just surprising that someone would write a book about it. And then change it a bunch to make it like I don't I, I don't get what he I don't get the goal of why he did why he made the changes he did. I don't think he what did he change? Obviously, creating the characters is a change of yeah. sorts. But but what did he change about the actual story? Like, well, they didn't. I mean, part of the thing that he didn't really change is I feel like he didn't. I guess it, I guess it's not easy to stick all this in there because it was it was basically just from the perspective of the islanders and Ethan when he was away. So he didn't really 
you know, they, they had some like race stuff in there. Like, Oh, got to tear that down this Island because you know, we, you know, we don't like mixed race people. And it was kind of that, but I feel like they didn't really go into why it all happened. It was more just like, I don't know. Cause I, knowing I like the you, real story, it kind of, it was the, the, the Island parts were so weird and he made everyone on the islands so like out there that you kind of was like, well, yeah, these people need help. And I know there was no way to help them the way we would see it back then. In the beginning that the, the beginning of the story, they were getting relief packages from some aid society and giving them shit that they didn't need, like a, a saddle for an island that had zero horses. Thank you for <laughs> like the saddle. Getting, it was delicious. They were getting all sorts of weird shit. So they're definitely strange people. I, I think maybe what why he didn't go into more depth about the the details of eugenics and <laughs> of racism and writ large is that that he didn't want to he was that those are details that were unnecessary. Those I meant the details books. of like really what it came down to is the state wanted to sell that land and develop it. But they didn't. There's nothing on it. It's an uninhabited island. Yeah, but at the time they were like, we could we could do something with this, and then they never did because, of course, they're stupid. Um, but that's but the governor is swayed by that in the scene. The governor was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And I, I think I think he wanted to keep the story on the people of the island. Yeah, you know. And I also think you know, like it's this other Eden, right? Like, and it's started by these two people, and it's very you know the parallels are strong. But like, yeah. One of the things about Eden is that the people of there are innocent, right? And so these people are are naive and ignorant of the the larger world, and they just want to do their little thing. And then I think you wanted to focus on that part of it. I remember in the real life story, one of the ways they tested the people for feeble mindedness was they showed them pictures of stuff, and they're like, "I don't know what that is." They showed a picture oh, yeah, of a ta- like a picture of a picture of the pres- of President Taft, and they're they like, I don't a, know who that yeah, is. Yeah, they showed a picture of a of a telephone. They're like, I don't know what that is. They're like, well, this person's clearly slow, so they have to be institutionalized because they've never seen a phone. Yeah, I'm sure it was complete bullshit. But yeah, I mean, this is this is not too dissimilar from when they used to give you know tests for in like living memory for civil agency kind of jobs where they clearly you know they, they, there's often criticisms of these tests as being racially uh biased in some way but when they're like asking like, what would you wear to the regatta <laughs> like, yeah. like oh i see who you're trying to you know that's having lived in boston for five years i understood the uh dress code at at uh, bars and clubs at night was no white tees no sports jerseys no timberlands and i was like hmm that seems specific. What if, it's, what if it's a Larry Bird jersey? No, still no. Or a Tom, Tom Brady. You can wear a Tom Brady jersey. But you just got to say go Pats every, after every, every drink. Yes. But you still can't wear Tim's. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the book was fine. Like, I don't see why this is on the short list. Yeah. What would you guys think? I thought it was okay. I did like it more than several other of the books we've read that were on the long list or the short list. But still, this is, you know, in, in you know, a at least going to be a runner-up for the best book written in the English language this year. It's like, really? It was still, it was nice. There were, there were a lot of nice things. It's very okay. Very okay. So it's just as good as a lot of the other shortlisters? Yes, but... <laughs> 
doesn't stand out. No, doesn't. I mean, there, there, it does hit the political, social element of the of the the drunk guys Booker uh, rubric pretty hard, right? Oh, look at this terrible action of a government that was racist against people who had done nothing wrong. Story, which is a story worth telling and remembering, but and it does have and it is beautifully written. You know, the Paul Harding can write, yeah. But I don't. I don't think this is a book that. And I just think it was. I think it was kind of overwrought and pretentious. Like, not even the queer speech at the end, which was just like, "Come on, dude." But the biblical stuff throughout the whole book. I'm not, I, I don't 100 percent follow what that was about. I had a lot of because it wasn't Edenic. Like, it wasn't paradise. They were poor. They were hungry. I think it's a different. They lived in squalor. Like, it's not a judgmental thing. Like, that's, that's an objective fact. I think, you know, artistically, you could say it was a paradise because they were free. And it was shitty where they lived, yes. But those people would not have been allowed to exist, most of America, because they were mixed. So, who knows? I mean, it doesn't make the book better. It was okay. It was a little, maybe a little pretentious. And a little, I think it's kind of an obscure (laughs) reference to make in the grand scheme of all the more easily used real things that happened. And, you know, maybe you're just trying to like get that deep cut, like, oh, wow, what, an un- what a treasure he's unearthed. But well, it's, less, it's not low-hanging fruit then. No, it is know, definitely so not. That's why. What kind of fruit, Michael? From, Strange fruit. From a tree? <laughs> an, a tree of knowledge? No. Like this beer? No, I'm just kidding. There's no more beer. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it was cool. It was fine. Once, yeah, it took about a quarter of the book till I understood what was happening. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, I know where the, now. I know everything is going to happen. <laughs> just just wait. Yeah, but it's fine. I don't, I don't think it should win any major award. I haven't read one yet. That's like this is the one that's going to win. Still, my money's on Profit Song right now. Me too. Yeah, that's not an unsafe. Bet. Especially with, um, yeah. I don't know if their decision is made, but with the Israel, Hamas, Palestine stuff happening right now, I can't. I, if they have not yeah. determined it, that is definitely going to be like putting it, you know, nudging the scale a little bit. I think so too. Anyway, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And uh, we never mentioned our Patreon this episode. We have one of those. Go to patreon.com, so Strong Guys Book Club. Or uh, help us out by leaving a review. Not not one of those goddamn one-star reviews that make me cry at night and, uh, you know, cut my penis and then masturbate with the hand sanitizer again because it's the only way I could feel. I can erase the shame of the one-star review. No one's listening to this. No one listens. <laughs> no one does. One person asked for the dollar, and I said, where should I send it? And she didn't respond, so fucking no one cares. <laughs> You can also join us on Goodreads, where I won't do any of that stuff. I promise. (laughs) And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.